Amen. You may be seated. We know that God is faithful, and so we come to Him in His Word. And so we come to the Gospel of Luke today in the 14th chapter, starting in the 12th verse. I'll read it for us. Jesus said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. That is the gospel of our Lord. Amen. This morning I have the privilege and honor of uh, uh, introducing our guest speaker who needs no introduction. She is a gift of grace to the Church of Christ. And we are so honored to welcome Johnny Erickson Tata today to testify to Uh, what God is doing, and we are so blessed to welcome her and welcome the ministry in partnership with the gospel that uh, she is representing today. So she has invited us to get to know her just a little bit better, and to do that, uh, we have a, a video that is prepared so that those of you who may not be have been introduced to her before, might get a glimpse of what God has already begun, the good work that he is doing. Let's take a look. For me, it's personal. It began back in 1967. I was 17, athletic. One summer day, I went swimming in the bay with my sister. I swam out to this raft, anchored a few yards offshore, took a reckless dive into shallow water. I knew then my life had changed forever. My doctor said, Johnny, you're gonna be paralyzed for the rest of your life without use of your hands, your legs. And I said, God, I can't live like this. I won't live like this. Because I couldn't hold razors or push pills down my throat, I knew I couldn't end my life physically, so I was tempted to end my life emotionally, mentally, spiritually. I wanted to just lay in bed, tell my mother to turn off the lights and shut the door. Finally, in the dark behind that closed door, I I cried out, God, if I can't die, then show me how to live. Thankfully, God put Christian friends in my life who opened the Bible and showed me that God permits what he hates to accomplish that which he loves. He permits awful things like like paralysis to bring forth Christ in me the hope of glory. My Christian friends helped me find purpose in that and I learned to give thanks even in the little things. And with each bit of obedience my faith grows, my perspective widens, the world gets bigger and eventually I wheeled out of that dark bedroom and began to embrace life. I discovered there's a world of other disabled people in dark bedrooms 
who, like me, need to embrace life and know God. I started writing about this and speaking, and before I knew it, my message gave birth to Johnny and friends. If there are folks languishing in isolation without hope, our team at Johnny and Friends connects them to local churches and resources, providing a Bible and the hope of Christ. If there's a marriage breaking apart due to a child's disability, we'll scholarship them at one of our family retreats. If there's a disabled child in Uganda crawling in the dirt or a grandmother in Guatemala being pushed in a wheelbarrow, our Wheels for the World teams will provide a wheelchair and a Bible in their language. If someone can't reach any further than, than their radio, the Johnny and Friends radio program brings hope right into their home. Our Christian Institute on Disability trains pastors, policymakers, and equips churches. And when it comes to the next generation, our Cause for Life interns roll up their sleeves and they do disability ministry in dark corners of the world. My husband, Ken, and I are joined by an amazing team of Johnny and Friends. Whether at our headquarters in Southern California, our area ministry teams around the country, or our network of partners and volunteers all across the globe. Our passion is to see people and special needs families embrace Christ, embrace the circumstances that God puts them in, and embrace life. I was there. I know what it's like. And for me, every face, every life changed, every soul saved is personal. So join me. Do as Christ commands in Luke 14. Go out quickly. Find the disabled and bring them into his fellowship. It'll not only fill God's house, it'll fill your heart. Welcome, wave hon. Grateful. Oh, wow. Happy, happy Sunday. And my husband, Ken, and I can't think of any place we'd rather be than worshiping with you. Oh, what a beautiful picture of praise to God as we're sitting in the back and singing those worship songs and looking at the Sandia Mountains. You all are situated in a lovely place, and we are so happy to be with you this morning. Uh, we just got back from Lone Tree Ranch down near Rio Doso, New Mexico, for our Johnny and Friends family retreat, ministering to special needs families here in New Mexico, and it was an awesome time. Just one of the ways that Johnny and Friends is reaching people affected by disability here in the greater Albuquerque area. But it wouldn't happen without my good friends, Paul and Debbie Foshuliak. So as warmly as you welcome me, would you stand? And Paul and Debbie, yes, thank you. And while Ken and I were down at the family retreat with these many people with disabilities, um, oh my goodness, I was just overwhelmed by their examples. Persevering, long-suffering, enduring through the most difficult of challenging circumstances, each of these families. It just was so inspiring. Because I tell you what, this world is so broken, isn't it? Sin has dealt this planet a mortal blow, and until it chokes out its final breath, brokenness and suffering are going to be a part of our lives. 
And so I pray that whatever I share this morning, even though you might not have a disability like me or the kinds of disabilities that we saw down at Family Retreat, I trust that what I have to say, say and share will touch, touch you in your heart with your own special needs. And I should know, having been a quadriplegic in this wheelchair for over 50 years, it's a long time. But as I said, I've got people who inspire me, people who are my examples. They're my heroes. So much so that I'm sure it's why Jesus said, as Pastor Jerry had read from the Gospel of Luke this morning, go out, find the disabled, find those people who are broken, bring them in so that they can be examples to us. And let me tell you about one person with a disability who to me is such a powerful example. Her name is Carla Larson. Now, I first met Carla when I was at one of our Johnny and Friends family retreats. I arrived early and I was flipping through the registrations, just getting a handle on who was going to be there. And when I saw this one registration card, I read about Carla Larson's disabilities. She had both legs amputated, she had lost a kidney, she had suffered two heart attacks, she was nearly blind, she had lost two fingers, and she suffered from severe edema. And I thought, oh my goodness, I've got to go meet this lady. So I hunted her down on the campus of Family Retreat. And when I met her, I said, Carla, I'm so glad you were able to make it. I see that diabetes is the root of all, your, all, all the body parts you've lost, but oh my goodness, thanks for persevering. Thank you for coming. To which she replied, well, Johnny, I thought I'd better come to Family Retreat before I lost any more body parts. <laughs> Obviously, the lady had not lost her sense of humor. In fact, she had such a great time at Family Retreat. She was so inspiring to all of us that when she went home, she sent me a thank you note. But the thank you note was twist-tied to the toe of one of her old prosthetic feet. <laughs> and the foot read, Dear Johnny, since all of me cannot be with all of you all of the time, part of me will have to do. <laughs> to me, Carla is such a good example of Titus chapter 2, verse 7, which says, quote, In everything, set them an example. Carla understood the power of example, the power of inspiring and encouraging others. She inspired courage in people just by, quote, showing up in the morning, just by getting up and facing the day with courage, just by, quote, arriving. It's a little like that movie Braveheart. Maybe some of you have seen that movie. Remember that scene right before the Battle of Stirling when the Scots were despairing because the size of the English army, fear and intimidation appeared to win? before anybody had even struck a blow in the battle. But then, all of a sudden, Wallace and his band of men on horseback come riding up from the rear and with their faces painted blue and just simply the act of showing up inspired the Scots, gave them heart, they went on the battlefield, and they won the day. It only takes one person, doesn't it? It only takes one person to help others, quote, win the day. It only takes one to influence a great many others for the good. 
And when I feel overwhelmed by my quadriplegia, which is often, because I am aging and 50 years in a wheelchair is a long time, when I feel overwhelmed, Carla's testimony and other people with disabilities, their testimonies, always inspire me. Carla helps me want to get up in the morning and win the day, because courage always breeds courage in others. Are you fearful? Are you a little cowardly? Do you feel often intimidated by your circumstances? Well, hang around courageous people, and their courage will rub off on you. That's the way I look at Carla. But when suffering becomes a never-ending grind, a day-to-day -day routine, it can wear down even the most courageous of saints, even one like Carla. Because there came another time, another summer, at family retreat when she returned to camp several years later. Carla, by then, had lost several more fingers, and she had lost more of her vision. And there was some consideration that perhaps they should take more of her upper thigh. And this time, she wasn't so courageous. When we talked at family retreat at this particular one, she confessed that she was tired. She felt that it was now harder for her to live than facing dying. And with what few fingers she had left, she flipped open her Bible. And she read to me from Philippians chapter 1, starting with the 21st verse. This is what she read to me from Scripture. For me to live is Christ, but to die would be gain. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the truth, too. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. She closed her Bible and said, See, see, Johnny? Even an apostle felt torn. Even an apostle said that it's better by far to be with Christ. And all I need to do, she told me, is to refuse the next surgery or not treat my next infection. Nobody would blame me. My disability is so hard. I'm just so very tired. Have you ever felt that way by your circumstances? You're so very tired. Like Paul, like Carla, like anyone with a chronic condition, I also feel torn. I will confess. I will confess I feel torn. After five decades of quadriplegia, who would blame me? I mean, throw in the battle with a step stage three, battle with stage three cancer a few years ago, and the chronic pain that I deal with daily, who would blame me? I desire to depart and be with Christ. My heart has already gone ahead to heaven, and my body just longs to follow at home. I told Carla this very thing, and I confessed to her how often I too have simply wanted to throw in the spiritual towel. I could easily do so by simply stopping the routines that keep me healthy, but I know from Scripture that my earthly life, your earthly life, is meant to be one of hardship. God wired it that way. Life is supposed to be difficult because it makes life a choice. 
You've got to fight to stay satisfied in God. You've got to fight every day to stay satisfied in Him. But it's a good fight. And that good is best described in the rest of Philippians chapter 1. Let me read it for you. And this is what I quoted back to Carla from Philippians chapter 1, starting this time with the 24th verse. Paul says, Yes, I am torn, but, and this is an important but, it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and for your joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Isn't that great? It is more necessary that I, that Carla, that thousands of people who suffer, Christians who love Christ, but yet whose life is so, so very hard, it is more necessary that we remain on earth, slugging it out in the trenches, shouldering through the hardships, keeping the faith, running the race, and fighting the good fight. Why? Well, like I told Carla, I said to her, Carla, if you remain faithful, if you stay in the trenches, if you keep slugging it out, it helps others more than you will ever know this side of eternity. It's like in Exodus chapter 3, verse 3. Remember when Moses was in the desert and he saw this burning bush? It says in the third verse, he turned aside to see this strange sight, why the bush burned but was not consumed. That is so powerful. I said to Carla, you are a burning bush, unconsumed, a holy thing in the sight of God. Your trials have not consumed you. You continue to burn with the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit. You cause skeptics, I told her, and you cause cynics to, quote, turn aside to see what is this strange sight, why this bush is glowing but not consumed. They think when they look at you, oh my goodness, how great our God must be to inspire such loyalty. Plus, I told her, when you show up, when you get up in the morning, when you arrive, when you, when you face the day, I told her it helps other Christians win the day as well. Because believers and non-believers look at you and think to themselves, if she can do it by the grace of God, perhaps I can do it as well. It's the power of example. It's how God intends brokenness to bless others. You know the story of Joseph, and I'm sure you know it well. He was sold into slavery. He was left to rot in prison. But he ends up saying to his very brothers who betrayed him, quote, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done in the saving of many lives. The good in Joseph's life, in Paul's life, in Carla's life, and Lord willing, in my life, or the life of anyone who suffers, is ultimately that other Christians might be inspired and encouraged and comforted while other skeptics might be convicted and be saved. That's the whole point behind our suffering. We are broken so that others 
might be saved. I said to Carla, just think of all those nurses in the clinic who know you, the ones who respect you and love you, but do not know Jesus Christ. They look up to you, Carla. They admire you, they listen to what you say. It's more necessary for you that you remain, or excuse me, it's more necessary for them that you remain for their sakes. I mean, think of the surgeons that you've encountered, the lab technicians, the custodians, the nurses' aides. Carla, you are famous in that hospital. You're famous there. People know you and they admire you, and you have an amazing story to tell, a story that will convict others of sin, bring them to Jesus Christ, a story that will comfort other Christians to be inspired to face their hardships. I told her, you are, best, you are God's best audiovisual aid of how his power shows up best in weakness. You're also his best audiovisual aid of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6, quote, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and your salvation. At this point, Carla was really, really touched. She was really listening. And so I continued telling her that the fact that you hang in there, friend, it does something for the rest of us in the body of Christ. Because not like only a role model, not only as someone who inspires, it goes much deeper than that. As Christians, in the body of Christ, we are mystically linked to one another. We are intimately and intricately linked to one another on a spiritual dimension that we can hardly understand. And your victories become ours. You may feel like a burden to others, but God thinks the opposite. He thinks it's necessary that others help you, that they be pressed to help you. You'll be doing more for their spiritual well-being than you can imagine. What's more, it's all being credited to your eternal account. Paul says so at the close of that passage in Philippians chapter one, when he told a bunch of guys who were blessed by his example, I will continue with all of you so that through my being with you, again, your joy in Christ Jesus will, now get this, will overflow on account of me. Oh, I said, Carla, you are stretching your capacity for eternal reward in such a way that you'd never dream imaginable. I mean, you are increasing your eternal estate by just trusting and obeying God and letting others observe you. So I told her, if good things happen to others through your example, God chalks it up to your record, to your eternal account. So persevere, press on, strive, endure through the hardships. It will mean fruitful, eternal reward. Basically, I guess I was telling Carla, well, we tell all the special needs families that we serve at Johnny and Friends. Yes, disability is hard, and at times it is downright impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So tomorrow morning, get up if you can, get dressed and just arrive. Find someone else suffering, find someone else who is suffering more than you are. Even if you have to do it from a hospital bed and help them win the day. And you know what? 
Carla went away from that family retreat a changed woman. She intended to do just that. She figured that if Jesus Christ, on his deathbed, on his cross, could reach out and think of others through his suffering to touch the life of a thief being crucified next to him or to minister to his mother by encouraging the Apostle John to take care of her. If the Lord from his deathbed could serve others and think more of others than his own interest, then she could find others hurting worse than she was, especially others hurting spiritually, like her surgeon and those nurses and everyone she knew at that clinic. Like I said, Carla went home from that particular family retreat, a changed woman. She had found her courage. You see, friends, the the, the natural response to suffering is to put God on the dock, to put him on trial. If not that, then to use suffering as an excuse to sin against him and be bitter and angry and doubtful, be resentful. But a supernatural response to suffering is to submit and to be broken and to bless others, both believers and non-believers alike. Because we are not all the paragons of virtue that we would like to think we are. Suffering is the textbook that will teach us who we really are. And when bitterness is exposed, when resentments or doubts or fears are exposed, we can submit over and over again to the Lord Jesus, asking him to cleanse us from any resentment. And we can embrace our brokenness and participate in Christ's sufferings. We become like him when we daily take up the cross and die to the sins that he died for on his cross. Sins like doubt and fear and resentment and anger. Why would you do this to me, God? If we could just let go of that, die to those sins that Jesus died for on his cross, then we become like Christ. Others may present a timid gospel, and maybe that's why we hear of so many Christians today falling away from the faith. But people like Carla, people like me, people like you who suffer, people for whom suffering might be chronic, we always see through a timid gospel. How can the good news sound good if you don't tackle the problem of suffering head on, right? It's like G.K. Chesterton once said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and untried. Only the rugged and robust gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus who hung on a cross like meat on a hook, Jesus who wrote the book on suffering, only a vigorous gospel that says, sin kills, hell is real, but God is merciful, his kingdom can change you, and Christ is your passport. Only that gospel is able to infuse courage into the hearts of people who really suffer hard. People like Carla. And I tell you, it's the gospel that we share at Johnny and Friends. It's the gospel that we hear here from Pastor Bruce and Pastor Jerry. And the people that we serve at Johnny and Friends, people like Carla, with all their disabilities, I tell you what, they are the ones who just guzzle down the living water. 
they grab hold of the bread of life and they just, they just gobble it down. God has removed from them the only kind of suffering that can ever really harm them. And that is, of course, separation from him. And this means that whatever suffering comes their way is only designed to make their souls great. Think about that concept for your own life. God has removed from you, if you're a Christian, the only kind of suffering that could ever harm you, and that is separation from him. Which means that from now on, as you trust Christ, whatever suffering touches your life is only intended and designed to make your soul great and courageous. I will admit that, as I said, even now after 50 years with a disability, it is getting harder. And I often feel like Carla. I don't want to be a burden. I need courage to face each day. I need courage to get up, show up, arrive, and win the day. And it's why I keep this special photograph on my wall next to my desk. I don't know if you can see it. Can you see it? This is the man that we met in Africa when we were delivering wheelchairs. Unlike Carla, he doesn't have a clinic or a lab. He doesn't have surgeons in his life or nurses' aides or any kind of support. He fell out of a tree, broke his back, laid by the side of a road until he was dragged home by his family. And when we saw him paralyzed from the waist down in great pain, villagers are helping him, taking care of him. We gave him a wheelchair. But when I wanted to take his photograph, he said, wait one moment. His T-shirt had fallen off his shoulder. And so with great care, he lifted his T-shirt up on his shoulder, smoothed out his shirt, and said, now I am ready. And to me, that just shows we all want to be treated with human dignity. We all want to be treated with respect. This man represents the world's one billion people with disabilities, 80% of whom live like he does. How dare I complain? And so I keep that picture next to me at my desk because he's one of the people who needs to hear the rugged, robust gospel that Christ wrote the book on suffering. Christ understands. Christ resonates. He is the man of sorrows acquainted with this man's grief. People who suffer, yourself included, are far more hungry for whatever this world can give. They are hungry for more than this world can give. They are thirsty for the truth about their difficult situation. They realize they've lost all their winnings in this world, and they know that there must be more. And when I look at that man, that African, and I think that he might die in his disability without Christ, when I think that their suffering on earth may only be an omen of even worse suffering, yet to face them in a Christless eternity, it breaks my heart. There are so, so many more people who are suffering who need our help. People are often ignored, neglected, or passed by. So you better believe that I'm going to get up, ride up from the rear. Every day I'm going to show up on that cosmic battlefield where the mightiest forces of the universe converge every day in warfare 
and I'm going to arrive. I'm going to squeeze every ounce of ministry effort that I possibly can out of this paralyzed body to help others win the day. And at Johnny and Friends, that's what we want to do here at this church and in churches all around the world. We want to help people who suffer to experience the reality of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, that they too can be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. They can have nothing, but yet possess everything. They can be poor, but make others rich. And that's why we want to help friends here at Faith Church look at their sufferings that way. Every morning when I get up, I have a hard time just facing the day, it's true. And it feels impossible to have somebody else come into my bedroom and give me a bed bath one more time and do my toileting routines and pull up my support hose and strap on my corset and get me dressed and sit me in a wheelchair and push me to the bathroom and brush my teeth and blow my nose and brush my hair. And I'm still lying in bed thinking, oh my goodness, I can't face this day, I'm so overwhelmed. And it seems so impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I can't do quadriplegia, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I am grateful for the hardship and the suffering and the affliction because then I know Christ's power rests on me. And maybe the really handicapped people are the ones who, when they wake up in the morning, they throw back the covers, jump out of bed, scarf down breakfast, take a quick shower, do a speedy tip of the hat of the quiet time, but then they zoom out the front door on automatic cruise control. Those are the really handicapped people because we're told in James chapter 4, verse 6, God resists the proud. Yes, even Christians can be proud. He opposes the proud. It even says he's against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And who are the humble? Simply those people who wake up in the morning desperately needing Jesus. True, there are those who think they can do life without moment by moment, hour by hour, leaning on Christ. Maybe they're the ones who came to Christ 15 years ago, and they've been to enough Bible studies and prayer meetings, and they've gone to um, enough services that they they pretty much got the lay of the land. And when they wake up in the morning and go out the front door, they're thinking, Jesus, I've got this Christian thing figured out. Um, I, I kind of know the routine here. So I'm going to go on through the rest of my day. But if I encounter any problems, I'll check in with you. But Jesus, you know, I, I pretty much got the lay of the land here. So I can handle it from here. If you live like, like that, you you might be in worse shape than that man in Africa. But if we live life seeing that our hardships are the very things that press us against the breast of our Savior, causing us to need him desperately every day, that is a good thing. That is fighting to stay satisfied in God. That is a good fight. A few years ago, Carla hit the limit on body parts. She had no more to give, and so Jesus called her home. But I tell you what, you should know that at least 1,500 people showed up 
at her memorial service at her church, including a great number of people from her medical clinic. And not only her unsaved friends, but her church family, they keenly understood what a precious, valuable member of the body of Christ she was. And I'm convinced that God uses people like Carla to change the landscape of not only the American church, but the global church, helping us all to understand that God's power is poured out upon us, not through our points of power, but through our points of brokenness. God always looks for the lowest level into which he can pour his living water. And people with disabilities in our congregations remind us of that. I'm convinced that God is using people like Carla to strengthen the church. So I hope that at Johnny and Friends you'll allow us to partner with you, let us resource you in reaching out to the Carlas here in the Albuquerque community. Like Pastor Jerry read from the gospel this morning in Luke 14, there's not many places that our Savior gets that specific about who he wants us to reach out to, but of all the people you might neglect, of all the people you might overlook, oh sure, you can overlook your rich friends and your relatives and your neighbors, but of all the people you might ignore, do not pass by people with disabilities. He says specifically, go out, find them, and bring them in. For God intends those disabilities that suffering is good for our good. People with disabilities remind us that suffering is for our good and for the saving of many, many lives. So if you're interested, perhaps you're visiting from another church today and you want to learn more about our work, then I encourage you to contact Paul and Debbie. And finally, if there's any takeaway at all from this morning, please know this. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. He hates spinal cord injury. He hates diabetes to the extent that it would take your arms and legs and your half your kidneys. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And what does he love? He loves, he loves encouraging the brethren and bringing salvation to those who have yet to believe. If you have yet to believe, if you are here this morning and do not know Christ, if you've been standing on the outside, on the fringes of the Christian faith, just dabbling, just kind of curious, just kind of interesting, interested, then allow God to use your own affliction this morning to take you a giant step further, to place your sin, that is your pride, your self-sufficiency, just wrap it all up and put it at the foot of the cross and come to embrace Jesus in a new and fresh way as your Lord, as your Savior, and as your guide to your own affliction. Because Jesus is ecstasy beyond compare, and it is worth anything to be his friend, any amount of suffering, any amount of hardship to be his best friend. So go out there, show up, take the field, and win the day for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the strengthening of the body of Christ. God bless you, and thanks for listening. Thank you. So grateful. Thank you, Pastor Jerry.
you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mm.